Welcome to Reforming Slavics. My name is Nick. Hey, and I'm Tom. Uh, and so I'm going to read a passage real quick and then we'll jump into our discussion. Then the Lord God formed the man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted the Garden of Eden in the east. And there was there he put man whom he had formed. Today we are going to be discussing the stuffness of man what what are what are we made out of the uh, isness of who we are like the being of the human being and there are plenty of discussions in regards to what is a human in debates in regards to atheism and christianity but also in christianity there's warring functions in regards to what we think a human being is made up of yeah like you know, you've heard the movie, What is a Woman? Well, also, like, a lot of people don't even have a basic, basic definition of what is a human. That's even a more basic term. Yeah, and if you if you don't know where you're coming from or you're the essential beginning of humanity or who humans are, then you won't really know what your purpose is. And if you don't know your purposes, you really don't know who you are. Like... Like, for example, right, uh, we we claim as Christians, and we believe, and this is true, that Christ was resurrected from the dead. Not Mm -hmm. only in some spiritual aspect of it, but in reality, his body was resurrected from the dead. And not only was he resurrected from the dead, like, uh, for example, Lazarus or many of the people Jesus resurrected from the dead who died again. Jesus was resurrected from the dead and never died. He ascended into heaven in his glorified body and so here we have this presupposition that hey there are there is more to us as human beings than the things we experience in the flesh in the physical realm and so when we read genesis god begins by forming man out of something physical the dust the dirt of the earth Um, today we know that as carbon and then he initially breathes life into Adam, making him not only physical, but also a living being, which we would call the soul. Yeah, so essentially there's two parts that make up man as we see. Yeah, as we see. Well, I just mean like as material and immaterial. Um, Yeah. And so if you believe that you have a body and a soul, then it means you can exist outside of the body. So once you die, you don't cease to exist. You continue existing. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that that simple fact that, hey, whether you die, you exist or you don't exist, like that worldview shift has all the implications possible in regards to is it, is it why is it bad to murder? What is the purpose of life that you were placed here to do? Uh, why does anything matter in, in, in the first place? All those questions uh, arise up from the fact that you have a soul and God breathed life into you and now you have a purpose to fulfill whatever that life is, is for, right? And that's kind of the broader aspect of uh, primarily the people who believe that you have a soul. It could be spiritual people, it could be Muslims, it could be all sorts of people, right? Non-materialistic people. But the materialists do believe still in the resurrection of the dead as well because life came from an 
a living thing, right? And the theory of the Big Bang and the primordial goo and the primordial soup of chemicals that eventually produced life, well, there was no life, no organic matter, and then all of a sudden there are cells. So even atheists believe that in the resurrection of the dead, but for the atheists, it took a very, very long time. That's the only way they believe in it. But both both Christians and atheists believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, I was listening to a famous, uh, famous clip of uh, an atheist, Richard Dawkins, and he's in a crowd and he's talking with a Catholic. And the, the, the crowd laughs at him because he pretty much tries to say that life came from non-life. He yeah, essentially like, says that, and the crowd laughs, and he's shocked because that's not usual for him. Yeah, it's not usual for him to be laughed at or mocked at because he's usually looked at like such an intellectual guy. But he's laughed at because it's just ridiculous. It it uh, breaks the laws of physics, right? It breaks the laws of logic, right? Yeah, like haha, you guys are losers because you believe that some guy in in Jerusalem, right, crucified, and all of a sudden three days later he comes back to life, it's like. Yes, yes, we do. We believe Christ rose from the dead because he is outside. He transcends this world. He's the one who created this world. While you believe the same thing, that immaterial life produced life, you just have no good explanation for it. But we do believe that. But it's different from us because we believe life came from God himself, right? From life himself, the the author of life. And so God who formed man created us to function with not only body, but also a soul. And we are not, a couple of misconceptions before we dive into some technical terms. Uh, we are not a soul living an experience in a body, nor are we a body waiting for our, our existence without it. Um, we are both body and soul. Um, there is no, there's no separation between those two. In other words, if you think heaven is going to be you floating around without a body, you're wrong. And if you believe that you're just a, you're just a soul experiencing life in this um, flesh machine, you're also wrong. Your body and your soul are not, aren't inseparable. You are both your body and soul. You can't just be your soul. And so, um, there's aspects of that that we could dive into later on, but, yeah, um, just over, yeah. Cause there's, there's an overall conception that or idea that people have sometimes is that either the spiritual is more important than the body or that the body is more important than like the spiritual. Yeah. Um, For example, a word that we hear often is Gnosticism and they believed some really extreme and um, really difficult things to comprehend. But one of the core aspects was that everything physical that had to do with the body was somehow sinful, unclean, dirty, and needed to be get, gotten rid of, while your true righteousness, your your, your um, true humanity was in your soul. And so the more you uh, got rid of physical things, the more your soul grew. And that's not the scriptural view of, of uh, your life. Both your body and your soul are crucial to God in order to live life. And in fact, when you die your body the 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 dust the stuff that you're made out of um is going to be resurrected because in the following chapter in genesis in verse 19 um, god proclaims a curse and he says by the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread till you return to the ground out of which you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return 
And that's the conclusion of the curse for man. And then you skip through the entire Bible history and you come to Paul. And Paul says, but that wasn't the end. What Jesus comes and does, he takes all those people who died, who trusted in God for the promise. Now that they're essentially, they are dust. He takes that dust and resurrects them to a glorified body, an immortal body, a body that will never fail again. And then you are a real human now. You you become the true thing that you were meant to be by God. And so um, we can't dismiss that. And that's yeah. kind of why I was talking, you're not just a soul from body. Well, also the view of the Gnostics was wrong because they saw the body and the physical as bad. But that's God, when he made everything in the beginning, he said that, he said it is good, right? Uh, including the body, including the old animals and all the things. Yeah. Um, you wanted to dive into a little bit of a discussion in some technical terms. Dichotomy and trichotomy. Trichotomy. Uh, can you define those terms, Tom? Like, they're big words. Yeah. So dichotomy means uh, pretty much... Uh, two like from the word die um, and like versus trichotomy which means three like a tricycle and this just goes to the two different views of how many essential uh, parts like uh, individual parts are we made out of like are we made out of a just a body and a soul or a body soul and spirit what is what is the stuffness of a human being what stuff do we have yeah are we are is our being just like we stated before the clay or the dirt or the physical things that God had formed and then the life the soul that God breathed into our nostrils or there's a th- or is there a third element uh, the spirit um, so those are the differences right are there only two parts or only three par- or are they or are there three parts um, and they're both of them are christian views right or there are christians who believe those views there could be christians who believe trichotomy and there's christians who believe dichotomy right Mm -hmm. yeah this is definitely not a like a crazy essential issue but i think the problem is when you when you have one of these when you have a wrong view of this it could lead to other you taking other parts of scripture and interpreting it kind of in a strange way. Um, and we could talk about that later, but first, can I just like bring up? Yeah, break it down. Like what is, what is dichotomy? Or let's do trichotomy first. I don't know which one you want to do first. I don't, I really don't. Yeah. So trichotomists, they believe that based off of something like first Thessalonians 523, that there's pretty much, three three parts to the person maybe i'll read it first you want to find it i can i'll read it it's race dang it i'm in revelation too far i have a phone so i'm cheating right so it says first thessalonians five twenty three says now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ Right here, so here it seems that Paul separates the spirit, the soul, and the body, and he says like 
that these three must be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. At which point we are resurrected from the dead. Yeah. And so based on this and other scriptures like Hebrews 4.12, um, I can read that as well. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here as well, it also it also makes it seem like there's a division of soul and spirit. Yeah, that there is. Um, there are three elements to human being rather than two. Yeah. Um, but the view of dichotomy is more like is that that there's actually two parts, uh, just body and soul slash spirit. In other words, soul and spirit are used interchangeably throughout the scripture. They're synonyms. Yeah, they're synonymous throughout each other. And the reason I think this um, is a bit more biblical is because you'll look at scriptures that talk about um, like the soul and the spirit almost doing the same things. Yeah. Like uh, throughout the Old Testament, when it talks about, you know, his soul, uh, someone dying, it would say their soul had departed from them. But then there would be other parts where it says his spirit left him. Um, it would also talk about, um, you know, for example, uh, the trichotomist would having a have a view of your soul is more of your uh, of more of your like emotion. It's more of your um, heart and your mind. It's like where's your thinking aspect. So your intellectual mind. Yeah, and they would say the spirit is more of a place of of where you connect to God. It's like the pure part like it was dead and now um, so this this doesn't this sometimes boil into uh the idea of salvation where um some trichotomists or people who believe in in three parts believe that you have always been soul and body but at the point of your salvation and becoming a christian mm -hmm. the thing that was dead was the spirit of the person and then that is brought to new life and now you have the ability to communicate with god because mm -hmm. your spirit has been awakened yeah, um, which I don't think is, yeah, which I don't think is exactly a good argument because there's parts um, in the Old Testament, maybe I could look it up, but it talks about a, um, it talks about a, a person that wasn't like a God follower, he, him, I think it was a king, he didn't, uh, it talks about his spirit mm -hmm. and him using like his spirit. Yeah. So uh, the, the a good example that I've heard quite recently is in regards to even creation. God says, let us create man in our own image and yeah. our own likeness. Um, that's not saying that there is an image of God and then there's a likeness of God. Rather, what the author is using is he's using two words to make a whole, meaning he's using the word image as in part of a description and likeness as the second part of the description to come up with one holistic idea of who we are in God's sight. We are both the likeness and image of God, which mean the same thing together when you combine them. Same thing with soul and spirit. He's just using two different words to make a more full point, meaning that the, the psyche or the soul, I mean, psychology comes from the word psyche, right? Psyche means soul in Greek. 
Yeah. And so essentially what Paul is saying that your soul, your psyche, who you are, the essence of you, your body, everything about you is going to be preserved and resurrected on the last day. Now, a lot of people would argue that, you know, you, you don't, some people argue that you don't have a mind outside of your brain, meaning your brain is the mind. And once your brain stops working, so does your mind. We as, about most pre- yeah, materialist and atheist, right? Yeah. There's no, but we as Christians believe that your mind or the function of your intelligence is both your body, which is your brain, also your soul. And so you can't just say, for example, if someone has dementia, right? The actual organ that functions as the intellectual part of a human being starts to be corrupted physically and no longer works. And uh, at times, uh, Christians who've been Christians all their lives get dementia and they act in ways that are um, foolish or unbiblical or blatantly sinful and just perverted, perhaps. Um, That is not the soul being corrupted. Rather, that is the organ that's supposed to function as your intellectual thought process is getting corrupted. And your soul isn't capable of, you know, being manifest in a way where it was used mm-hmm. it used to because your natural body is being decomposed. And um, what I guess the whole point of that is that when you are resurrected, you, both your body, the physical aspect of you, and your soul are going to be in heaven and, and before God's throne and in eternity. Yeah. Um, the verse I was looking for was like in, for example, uh, in Daniel 520, it says his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. And this is talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And this was, um, the secular king, uh, a king who did not believe in God. Yeah. So I think that just proves that. We didn't. It's not that we had a spirit that was unregenerate. Like it doesn't come alive. At like, what does it actually mean that it comes alive? It's it's more of a. It's not that your spirit was like dead, like in a sense that it wasn't active, like at all. But it's that your spirit was actively suppressing God. What it means for it to come alive, uh, when you were dead in trespasses and sins, mm-hmm. your spirit, you're spiritually dead. It means that your spirit was act. Uh, now is towards God um, in a different relationship. It loves God now. It it uh, comes alive to the goodness and the truth of God. Yeah, so I, I guess a well well put thought out would be that your spiritual awakening or your spiritual resurrection from the dead or, or your regeneration, right, that, that's the theological term for it, would be that your soul and your body have now recognized that what you have been pursuing was against the will of God mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit not supernaturally gives you power to change your will. So, so oh, the will is just a function of your soul. It is not a third entity or, or a third thing of your soul or your body. It is just the thing that your body and soul do. Your desires come from your soul and body. And so what we would say is that your loves, your desires, your affections change when you are resurrected from the dead in, in regards yeah. to regeneration. Yeah. It, there's nothing that's added or uh, something that, you know, has been missing. You have, you are a full human being 
Um, right, yeah. full human beings war against God, and full human beings submit to His authority. But the difference there is those full human beings that submit to His authority have been regenerated or been yeah. woken up or erased from the dead through His Spirit. Yeah. So going back to the First Thessalonians five twenty three argument for trichotomy, um, you know where it says, um, "Let your body, soul, and spirit uh, be kept holy until until that day." Um, what we see that as is actually a like a Paul is using a literary element like a device just the way Jesus did right and um and let me l- let's pull up uh Matthew chapter 22 verse 27 um not 37 22 37 22 37 my bad and and this is uh Jesus He's going to be speaking. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. Right? So here it would, it would seem that like, Oh, wait a second. Is Jesus talking about that you have a heart, soul, and mind? Like he's making some kind of a, uh, what's it called? Um, like a distinction, like a, a way to describe the body autonomy or anatomy or something like that. It's yeah, like, well, how can you love your God with your heart, right? You kind of can't. It's a it's a muscle that produces, well, not produces, functions as a pump for your blood, for your blood and for the ability for your entire body to get oxygen from your lungs, right? Yeah. What Jesus is really saying is all of your essence, your isness, the the being that you are, put all of that into loving the Lord your God. Yeah, and then the question would be like, why did Jesus leave out spirit if he told us to love him with everything? It's not that, he, that he's leaving it out, right? It's more that he's piling on like different types of cinnamon, uh, synonyms to try to make a point. You're supposed to love God with everything. You're, yeah. and, um, and this wouldn't really make sense, right? Because if Jesus was like, um, like trying to separate into individual parts, then it wouldn't make sense because in Mark uh, 1230, it's a parallel gospel, right? And so he's, he, he's, it's the same story and he's talking about this time he's describing a, a heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with your mind, and with all your strength. And so this time it's four parts. So it's like, okay, are we a, uh, not just a trichotomy, but a four, like a quadrotomy or whatever it's called. <laughs> I don't even know the word for it. But no. all those all those are yeah. functions of your soul and body, right? Those are those are not the stuff that you're made out of. That's the things and the desires that the stuff your matter produces. Yeah. And you can't really distinct your mind, your thinking element, and your and your like physical brain, right? Yeah. There are also a lot of superstitions that arise from misunderstandings in regards to how the world is created in God's view for the body and the soul to function. For example, you know, do do we have floating dead people floating around in their spirit with you know ghosts? Yeah, decapitated not decapitated, but de detached from their bodies floating around here, you know. It's like, well, no, because you're either here present in your body or you're present with the Lord. And once you actually reunite with your body in the resurrection day you are now a physical 
glorified body. Like you, you don't exist outside of a physical experience in regards to like existence, right? Yes, when when your body dies and it goes to the ground, there is a time period in which you are just soul. In your immediate state. Yeah, some people would call it in their immediate state. But the Bible doesn't really tell us much about that, right? There's no purgatory language. There's no there's no place which we stay for some kind of punishment or redemption before we are reunited with our body. It seems that Paul describes in chapter 15 that we die, our body decomposes, it turns to dust. But that very dust, that, that the stuff that we're made out of, God takes when he comes on the last day, he resurrects it, reforms it into a glorified body, a body that will never see corruption again. And then that body is reunited with who you are as a soul. Mm-hmm. So we experience that, you know, both body and soul is good. Yeah. And I guess the reason we're bringing up like, you know, maybe we should talk about why this is so important, why the nature or the essence of man or like how we relate to God is important, right? Yeah. Because essentially, yeah, that's essentially what it is. It is. It's how you relate to God. And we are created in his likeness and in his image. Yeah. Right. We, and that doesn't mean that God has a body, but what that does mean is. Well, Jesus does. He added the bodyness to himself. Yes. And well, God the Father does not have. Yeah. Did and Jesus did not have a physical body until he stepped into creation and became enfleshed in human flesh. Yeah. And Jesus still has a body because he rose bodily from the grave in the resurrection and now he has his glorified body which will have he will have for eternity. Yeah. When he came and showed himself to Thomas and to the disciples, he still had the nails in his hands even though he had well, died then, and re- yeah. he resurrected. This was after after he was resurrected, he still had the same body. And so our hope, our hope in in the Christian life is not to just, you know, either one extreme of it would be to destroy our bodies and say, well, the flesh is the thing that makes us sin and we must punish it or we must suppress it or we must not enjoy anything fleshly. Um no, that's one hardcore aspect that people choose to pursue. Well, Even self-flagellation, for example, right? Yeah. I um, mean, when you're already saying something fleshly... There's a negative there, connotation, yeah, connotation there. I mean, there is a different... But the, the problem is, with our English language, there's a difference between like a flat, like the body, our body physical, and the flesh, which means sinful nature. Yeah, so when Paul talks about the flesh in chapter 7 of Romans, what he is really referring to is the old man or the desires of people who live by only carnal desires, right? Things of the flesh, meaning that their only will, their only desires are to please themselves regardless of God's law or not. Meaning that God, for a couple of examples, would be God created... Um, procreation and um, intimacy between a man and woman to be constructive and to build families mm-hmm. and he created a proper way to do that and the improper way to do that is to sleep around and commit adultery right god created wine for the pleasure of man to make his soul glad the perversion of that is to get blatantly drunk right so both things include your body the flesh 
But what Paul is saying there is your old man desires or the older man or the man that has been put is being put to death. Yeah. His desires are only for the pursuit of carnal joy yeah. rather than spiritual application and God's glorification. Yeah. And if we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, that means we should love him with, um, you know, our intellect, with our the way we think, right? Because when we worship God, we're not just turning off our brains and just like, because that's pointless. We To have faith is to have assurance. It's to have an actual faith in someone. Yeah. And so when you think, you're using thoughts, you're using your mind to actually worship God through the way you see him, the way you understand him. And understanding comes through words. But it's not just mind. It's also our emotions, right? And it, even the, the fruit of the spirit, it's emotions, isn't it? It's yeah. like joy, like peace. Patience. Like how do you, how do you develop patience? Yeah. You can't just do it with, with like intellect. There, there is a emotional aspect to anger, frustration, sadness, um, love, and that is not just a chemical reaction in your brain producing serotonin or dopamine, um, right? It mm-hmm. is, it is a experience that is transcendent. Trans, that transcends that. Problem is, we can never see the soul. Like in our existence. We can't prove that it exists materially because it's immaterial. Yeah. But C.S. Lewis, for example, would argue that your soul is just as real or even more real than your body. And both are who you are. You can't you can't you can't be one you can't be a human being without a soul. You can't be a human being without the body. Yeah. And I think also the reason the dichotomy and trichotomy debate is important is because trichotomy can lead and i've seen this even in our you know slavic churches it can lead to a kind of Mm -hmm. anti-intellectualism and a tendency that says the the spirit is somehow more important than the soul which contains the mind and so the spirit is the thing that connects closest to god but that's not even scriptural because the the bible says bless the lord O my soul right it's not just it's it's using soul and spirit interchangeably there yeah like you 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 bless the Lord with all your soul, and that includes your hands. It includes lifting your arms or whatever way you express you want to express yourself. In other words, the knowledge of God and your experience of God are not you can't pull you can't pull apart your actual theological knowledge of who God is from your deep emotional experience of His presence. Both are there. And one is not more important than the other. Rather, when you experience a deep understanding of God's truth and a deep love for him emotionally, that is an experience that God desires all Christians to have because you are living in a way where you are being fully human. You are actually using the functions and and, and the uh, essence, the being that God gave you. And that is lived out physically. Like you... You can't just connect with God spiritually and leave, leave the daily existence out of it. It's yeah. very mundane sometimes. Yeah, so Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology talks about how the there was a Greek philosophical, Greek philosophy. That there was an idea that the idea that the material world, including our bodies, is essentially evil and something to be escaped from. 
it's almost this um this idea of you know deny yourself of the pleasures of this world um and that has kind of leaked into some evangelical people's minds to see that if you're not praying if you're not using your free time to only pray and read the Bible, like something's wrong with you. Yeah. There's and I've, this... Yeah. I've talked to friends that, and even me myself who thought that when they first became Christians. Yeah. God gave you a body, not only to pray and read, but to also do really hard work. Right. In, <laughs> in, in the curse, God gives Adam a couple of things that he's going to have to experience. And one of those things is, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Yeah. Right. Um, and also the idea of the fact that you shall till the ground because it is cursed and in pain, you shall eat of it all of your days of your life. There is hard work that is involved in being spiritual. In other words, I, the, the more you live, the more you recognize that the people you should trust are not the people who pray and read all day and do nothing else, but the people who pray, read, and then go and work go and you know till the ground yeah go pursue art go pursue these things because god created you to be a full human not just someone who lives in the spirit yeah because regards to like we're supposed to live in the spirit in regards to the spirit of god the holy spirit living in you and acting in you but also you don't exist just in a spiritual plane yeah i mean there's going to be there is going to be ministers that are going to be more devoted to scripture and reading the word just like the apostles when they separated people like, hey, go serve the tables, go serve in the widows while we devote ourselves more, they delegate people, right? But that could lead to things like in the Roman Catholic Church to where during the Middle Ages, there was these groups of monks that would just get together and almost dissociate themselves from society and say, we're going to be more spiritual, we're going to connect with God. But the Bible says this is this is what pure religion is. It's to take care of the widows, the orphans. This is that's what it means. That's what is pure religion right there. Yeah. That's what it means to be a Christian. Is to do the actions of taking care of of God's like of people's needs, literal physical needs. Yeah, because we have both spiritual and physical needs and both are quite important. Mm. I mean, modern day applications are quite interesting because um there's this whole spectrum of people who um, are semi-Christian in our in our culture. Like, semi-Christian meaning they borrow from the Christian worldview, right? Yeah. If you find an atheist, and like half the atheists in this world believe in ghosts, it's like, dude, how does that work? How do how do atheists believe in ghosts? It makes no sense, and yet they do. Yeah, it's actually surprising. Like, there's not that many people that are strict materialist in the sense that they don't believe there's any kind of spiritual things out there yeah and so i i feel like a lot of people who are christians get muddled up and confused by you know spirit like the the planes of physicality the physical world and the spiritual plane because we tend to um either get muddled through culture for example spirits floating around or um astral projection or astral planes meaning the new age movement where people just get out of body experiences or a big popular thing recently is psychedelics where you um you know consume a drug and you have this out of body spiritual experience 
and you connect with your psyche or your spirit and that somehow changes or improves your life where you understand things that you haven't understood before. And all those things occur and, you know, happen and, and those things are real. But the reason those things are not not useful to the Christian or not Christian-esque yeah. is because God created an order in which we function. And that order happens to be not through some magical experience of attaining knowledge, but the knowledge we attain happens to be from logic, reason, and order that eventually permeates our emotion, desires, yeah. and wills. So we believe the way we know what we're supposed to do, how we're what we're supposed to do in life is through revelation, yeah. through God's word. And yet people are having these revelatory experiences where they're understanding new things about them, which is not necessarily... And, and those, it could be, but those things, people have testimonials that those things have been extremely helpful. Like uh, a lot of people claim that they have um, helped with their PTSD, or they have uh, cured their anxieties, or they have gotten rid of their depressions. Right, and, and it seems to be a positive. Mm -hmm. But the, the issue with that is, if you go to a logical discussion with them the only way they can explain their experience is through self-referencing and self-examination and personal relative experience, right? You can't apply the laws of logic to it. You can't apply the real world to it. It's all subjective to who they are. And so what happens there is where is truth in all that, right? Mm. You have an experience of something magical this person has experience with something magical and they seem to be different and they're both happy. But is there any truth in that? Is there yeah. actual reality in that? And again, yeah. that's that's going to separating the physical realities of who we are, the fact that there are laws of logic, the fact that there are physics from the actual part of your spiritual existence. Yeah. When someone says there's no truth, you can ask him, is that true? Yeah. Like there's my truth is is true to me. Well, you just ask them, is that true? Is that sentence true itself? And it's like, I don't know if it's true. The heart is deceitful, right? That's what the Bible says. So whatever experience we have, we're supposed to come to God and be like, all right, I don't know. I don't know what my experience was, but I know that if it's not according to, to God, what he's, he's, he's experienced, like what God has told me, then I could be deceived no matter what. Yeah, and that's why God establishes order in the world and order in our Christian lives it gives us a path by which we could know him and know who he is I, I think that's the most important thing that we should kind of grasp when we realize we have a soul we have a spirit and both those things pursue God through knowledge intellectual understanding which we primarily derive from the book that he provided for us God, God actually spoke he didn't it's interesting that God didn't somehow just create pictures and movies and um, random thoughts that just pop in your head. Mm -hmm. You can't validate other than with yourself, with your own heart. God gave us an, something outside of us that we can understand and we could rely upon concretely, which is the word of God. And that's the thing we can live our lives by, right? And so knowing that the way God created us, we use our intellect, our understanding to read his word. That word changes our emotions, hearts, and affects our 
mm-hmm. our soul and body to will and desire what God has laid out for us. Yeah. For like, when you think about like what we do in worship, um, whether that's through praying or through actual singing, like the music, um, what do you think about like people using, thinking about it, worship as a, um, as a completely emotional experience? What do you think about that? Is that healthy? So it depends what emotion, right? Um, primarily modern day, well, there's two, right? The, there's the solemn, somber emotions that are produced primarily from very traditional Pentecostal Christian churches that are from the Slavic community, right? And joy and happiness seems to be a very difficult to achieve, thing to achieve. And then in more charismatic, new modern churches, joy and happiness seems to be the only emotion that anyone could experience at church. And what we, what we need to recognize that in Scripture, if you read the Psalms, David says, shout to the Lord. And then he says, you know, God crushed my bones. And it feels as though my soul yeah. has been put into shoal. Why is why are you so downcast, my spirit? Yeah, and so and so we see we see both emotional experiences in David's life. I believe we should see both emotional experiences in the Christian worship atmosphere mm-hmm. and experience at the church. So when you're singing a song, the song you're singing should reflect your emotions should reflect the words that are being projected on the screen, right? So on Resurrection Sunday at our church. Everyone's extremely joyful and excited because Christ rose from the dead. Yeah. On Good Friday, we are somber, recognizing the severity of Christ's death and his innocence and the need for our dark and black souls to have redemption. And that brings out a different emotion. So purely emotional experiences veer off because primarily no one wants to experience a purely horrible emotional experience everyone wants to pure you know experience euphoria and as christians we should say that we experience joy in the lord we also experience sorrow and those experiences are guided the guide rails for those experiences of the word of god yeah so the when we have emotions that aren't the fruit of the spirit um, or it, if you think about maybe we can have joy but it could be in the wrong things essentially right if it's just having joy it's not bad to have joy in our in our physical things like our bed our awesome comfy beds and when I was like in in different countries that was one of steak, the steak bacon air conditioning yeah those are things that we missed the most when I came back <laughs> or we when i came back from america the first thing i had was like chick-fil-a because i've missed you know <laughs> that's the thing we didn't have in other con- in nepal but but ultimately if those things get taken away um you know our joy should be having thanksgiving in what god ha- has done for us right on the cross because that can't be taken away from us Paul does say rejoice, rejoice always. Yeah. And again, I say rejoice. It's a it's a command of scripture. And that and at that point, 
when David's like telling his spirit to rejoice, he's, he's literally telling his spirit to rejoice. Why? Because he's always looking to God. The, the Psalms are very God centered. He talks about himself for just like a blip. And then he always turns to God. It's like, what has God done for me? How he's, I still hope in God, even though my spirit and my soul, my situation is like this. I will not conform to the, my emotions until. Well, the, you know. he, the awesome thing you just mentioned is, um, David does not succumb to his emotions. He commands his emotions. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Meaning he, he, with his intellect, with his mind, tells his emotions, you will now bless the Lord. Right? So we do not succumb underneath our emotions. We are supposed to use and have our emotions provided with the truth of God. And what, like emotions were created by God ultimately for his glory you know like we cannot experience god without emotion mm-hmm. we just can't you know and every time you look at the appearance of god on mount sinai there's fear when elijah comes to i mean when god comes to elijah there is reverence in the small whisper of wind when you know Christ appears in glory. There is rejoicing from his holy church and there is fear from the unbelievers. So whenever you, when, whenever God appears, there's extreme emotion always. You can't remain unemotionless or without emotion. I don't know where that word came. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> and even when you're using, if you think about it, isn't it like when we're even using our emotions, you can't, like stop thinking you're always going to be thinking about something aren't you you can't just like completely turn off your brain even though men are my my wife would claim that i can <laughs> yeah that men could just like think of nothing but i think that's what happens in church sometimes like i i'm focusing on the wrong things right when i'm saying those words i try to remind myself hey do you actually believe those words like those are actually true and then it reminds me and my emotions to rejoice yeah i i think we covered it quite thoroughly uh we did not go into hebrews in regards to the writer of hebrews talking about what is actually being divided between yeah. the, the bone Re- real quick we could i could just say that hebrews 12 uh 412 where it talks about the division of both soul and spirit um, it, what it seems like he's doing is it's it, what it's talking about. It's God's ability to, through the word, to penetrate and affect the immaterial part of man. Yeah. Our, the, the stuff of us, our, the stuff that we are made out of is pierced by the word of God yeah. in all and absolute aspects, meaning our mind, our emotions, our will, our desires, yeah. Yeah. and because, our body itself. Because how do you divide the thoughts and intentions? That's one of the word, the two examples that he brings up. You you have to use your thoughts. Your thoughts are your intentions, pretty much. Yeah, you 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 use your thoughts to describe what your intentions yeah. are. And, and he says he says that the things like living and active. He says double-edged sword, soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Living and active are are synonymous. Yeah, soul and spirit are synonymous. They're they're synonyms. Joints and marrow. Like how do you, how in that age do you divide joints and marrow? It's, it's a bone. 
Yeah. And so what Paul is saying is God is God's word is so precise and so piercing that it goes into the inmost parts of us and, and discovers yeah. those There's things the, that need to be crucified on the cross. I'm glad you reminded me because that literally goes into our discussion about emotions. Yeah. God pierces our emotions as well. And he orders... Yeah, our desires. God puts... God orders not only our thoughts, not only our intellectual understanding, but also our spiritual desires. And he orders our emotions in a way that reflect who he is, his likeness, and his image.